0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app, or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today, today we go back to our basic uh, sermon series. We were back to basics, first Sunday of the month lessons. Today, our second one, Saving Faith. The last time we had uh, Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. And now we're going to talk about the response we have to that. Some other future lessons might yet be. You must be born again, washed, justified, and sanctified. The resurrection, the afterlife, the ancient landmarks. Order in the created world and things such as that. But today will be. On faith, there's a reason why our first hymn this morning was, Lord, I Believe. It wasn't just picked because this is the topic, although it was picked for that. But we have that song and we sing that song semi regularly because of the importance of faith, an effective faith, a faith, as we mentioned in our title today, a faith that will uh, save. It is by faith, the New Testament teaches us, that we grasp on to the promises that have been made and carried out through Jesus Christ. As Paul told the Galatians, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I can't think of a simpler, shorter summary of the things we wish to study than that. That it is by faith that we are sons of God, Faith in Christ Jesus. And so the significance of the Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God to us. Again, last time we talked about Him as a Savior, as a Lord, as the Messiah. And so do we trust that? Uh, do we uh, believe that? Do we put our faith in that? And we will note that there is some multiple vocabulary uh, where all the uh, expressions are functionally the same for us. But we will talk about faith, of trust, and belief. We'll talk about it being in Christ, in his name, uh, and in him, and uh, talk about the object often of our faith, but not always. Sometimes the Bible just say believe. Sometimes it will point to the object of our belief. And then Jesus will be described in various ways. As the object in John 3, we have this in John three fourteen, maybe the most famous statement about faith and saving faith. It starts in it's John three sixteen, but we'll read the two verses before and after it as well. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes will, uh, will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so there we see its belief in verse 15, its belief in him in verse 16. In verse 18, it's belief in his name. So in all of those, we're talking about the same thing. It's through him. It's in him. It's in his name. In this passage, it's belief. In Galatians, it was faith is the word that Paul used. And we also saw an important point, of which we'll make note of uh, in a section to come, that it says, as Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness. So in that, Christ was prefigured. Well, sometimes he's prefigured. There's a type, there's a a shadow, uh, there's an indication of Christ to come. And sometimes it's just directly spoken of by prophecy. But we find that Christ, and this kind of, faith in him for salvation has long been in the plan of god so uh, in first peter 2 and you can read this from first peter 2 or you can read this from isaiah uh, chapter 28 uh, we have peter making this quotation he says for thus it is contained in the scripture behold i lay in zion a choice stone a precious cornerstone and he who believes in him Will not be disappointed. So Isaiah spoke of the one who believes will not be disappointed. So this is a, proph- a prophesied and long prepared way. Uh, this is central to the gospel uh, by the plan of God from a long time back. Actually, as I was studying this and preparing this lesson, as I was reading 1 Peter 2 and uh, 6, about in Zion is laid a, a cornerstone. I thought, all right, well, I'm going to write the reference for that down. And uh, I started looking in my Psalms, uh, Psalm 118, for that reference, where it talks about uh, the uh, cornerstone uh, that uh, uh, the builders rejected. Turns out Peter wasn't quoting that Psalm. He quotes that Psalm in the next verse. But this one was in Isaiah. So in Isaiah and in the Psalms, this is all uh, prophesied. So first thing, and we're going to take this in four parts. I originally had six but I know y'all got lunch plans, so we only got four. We got four parts of this, Um, four parts. The first part is going to be uh, the emphasis of the fact that uh, this is repeatedly uh, told to us. I'm going to have quite a few verses for each of our four points. Uh, We won't look at all of them at length. We just simply couldn't, Uh, but we'll have them for reference. You can have the handout if you like. There, these could all be multiplied uh, by a factor of, of many, if we wished. But first we'll look and see this salvation by faith is repeatedly emphasized in the scripture. Uh, then we're going to see that that is contrasted to works. Then we'll see that it needs the right object that's always in him, through him, and by him. And lastly, we'll look at the fact that it needs to be uh, properly accompanied. So that'll be our first, uh, that'll be our four points. Again, the first one, the repeated emphasis upon this. Uh, We could go to just about, well, we could go to any gospel. We could go to the vast number of the letters of the New Testament, and we could find our verses about faith or belief and necessity of trusting in God. We'll just pick. Now, this one is a representative sample from the Gospels, John 11, that Jesus asked in a cemetery if uh, the family there of the deceased, his friends and disciples, he asked if they believed that he was the resurrection and uh, the life, the one who was the life giver. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this? It's always a good question. Read any point of scripture and ask yourself, do you believe this? Do I believe this? And sometimes I ask you, examine yourself. Do you believe this? Well, here the question being asked of belief is, do you believe that Jesus will resurrect the dead? Do you believe that he gives life and life forevermore? Jesus asked these people to believe that. He then gave them reason to believe it. And we have the reason to believe it in the scripture. Uh, they had it in reality of uh, walking back home with their brother uh, re- you know, late of, of the cemetery. Uh, uh, his, he had a temporary change of residence from their house to the cemetery. Jesus comes to town and the residence changed back to the house because he raised him from the dead. Strong proof. And we have a uh, credible record of that. But he asked them, do you believe? He gave them every reason to believe. Of course, there were those there who saw it, didn't believe. And we say, how could that be? Well, they didn't want to. And so do you want to believe or not? Uh, Do you want to accept Jesus and these claims and the truth of scripture in it? And so we find that this is commonly said. In Acts, uh, we have uh, in Acts 10, uh, the first sermon to the Gentiles. Uh, There's a number of sermons in Acts. Uh, but this is the first sermon given to the Gentiles uh, from the Apostle Peter, Acts 10 and 43. It says, of him, all the prophets bear witness that through him, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So that's Peter's summary of the prophecies. I might have should have saved that verse for my section later on prophecy. But uh, uh, Peter's summation of the prophecy is that all the prophets say Everyone who believes in him will have forgiveness of sin. And then we go to the Apostle Paul and the letters that he wrote. He wrote to the Corinthians. We'll pick one as a sample. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So it was God's choice to save believers. In Ephesians 2, another one of the very famous passages about saving faith, "By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not the result of works that no one would boast. So you're saved by faith, not by works." Well, that'll be our next topic uh, on uh, the contrast between faith and works. In Ephesians, the third chapter and verse eight, Paul said, "He suffered the loss of all things." He counted them but as rubbish that he might gain Christ and that he might be found in him not with a righteousness of his own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And so there is what we seek. There is the reason of faith. There is the reason why faith is saving because through it There is a righteousness that comes from God. Uh, The Jewish folks we know were uh, seeking to establish a righteousness of their own derived from the law. And Paul said they're in error. Uh, They're very zealous about this. But he said they're quite, quite wrong. And so it's a faith in Christ that comes with grace. It comes to those who believe. And it's on this basis, it says there's a righteousness coming from God on the basis of faith. Romans 4, faith is counted as righteousness, right? Just like Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God. It was counted or reckoned to him as righteousness. The faithful are counted as righteous. This is an act of faith. This is not of works. The Jewish religious establishment famously thought, That righteousness was in law keeping. Well, there's a lot of benefits to keeping the law. Because when you break the law, you are condemned. When you keep the law, you are uh, living in the way that God gives in a holy way. You're not becoming an affront to his holiness. You are not uh, stacking up his wrath. You you are living in a better way because the law is a very successful way to live. God gave it to us for our benefit, not just for our constraint. It is for our constraint. But constraint from evil things and to do beneficial things. The law has a lot of good in it. Follow what God teaches. It'll work out well and better for you. But don't think that in that way is righteousness. Because righteousness is from God on the basis of faith. Uh, The problem with law is that you don't keep it well enough really to be righteous. Because how much law does it take to condemn? How many violations? And of what sort of violations? Not just the big overt ones where you get indicted. Not just the ones large enough that your neighbors go, oh man, he should not have done that. But also those ones that are private. uh, In the family. um, Just among a few. Or even just in your heart. Those violations do equally condemn, and righteousness then is not obtainable when you have all this sin. Now, keeping the law keeps you from a lot of sin, but it doesn't keep you from so much sin as to be righteous. And so we have this this is Paul's first sermon recorded in the book of Acts, Acts 13 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So, through Jesus, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. How does that come? Well, through Jesus, and it's through him, everyone who believes is freed. And so it's through Jesus, through belief in Jesus, and that is freedom. Freedom from the condemnation of the law. Again, Acts 13, 39. Through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. This is the problem with law of Moses, or certainly of any kind of law-keeping we devise. Any kind of law-keeping cannot free you from sin, because freedom from sin is through Christ, and God has determined to give that to those who have faith. Well, Paul preaching that in the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch, that did not go over too well. The Gentiles loved it. A lot of the Jews did not. Not all of them rejected, but many did. And you read on in Acts 13 about how there was some community commotion and just nigh on a riot because of these things. Uh, this was not received because people love this law-keeping business. They think that makes them righteous. And they, one of the things that comes with that is a comparativeness so oftentimes with law-keeping righteousness. I keep the law good enough to be saved. And so when you say that that effort didn't save me, I get upset because you mean all my efforts in vain? And also with that, this comparison of I'm keeping the law better than him. Yeah, but he has faith. He has faith in Christ. No, so you're telling me we're on an equal basis? I, I do all this extra effort to keep the law and he gets the salvation you say I don't get? That may be if you don't have faith. And so in, in the law so often there's this comparativeness of I'm working harder to keep it than him. I'm more righteous than him. Self-righteousness and law-keeping go hand in hand. They always do. But it's not righteousness by law-keeping. It's righteousness as the scripture affirms over and over and over on the basis of faith. Again, Acts 13, 39. Everyone who believes is freed. Paul explains this further in the book of Galatians. He's got a whole book on it. Actually, he's got two. Because we could also go to Romans. But Galatians 3, 10. For as many... Are of the works of the law are under a curse. Oh, law keepers are not not just are they not righteous? They're cursed, because is written this: cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things. Well, that all things covers well all things, and that'll get you every time. That all things, cursed is everyone who does not. And this is from Deuteronomy: abide by all things written in the book of the law, so as to perform them. Galatians 3.11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith, quoting Habakkuk. However, the law is not of faith, but on the contrary, he who practices them will live by them. So you want to make it performance-based, or do you want to make it faith-based? I need it to be faith-based because my performance isn't always so great. Y'all can probably say amen to that if you'd like. You don't have to, but... Uh, My performance is not enough that I do it all and might live. My performance is I didn't do it all and therefore I would die. But it's not going to work that way for you either or anybody, you know. Again, verse 11, no one is justified by the law before God. No one is. So verse 13, here comes Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become the curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, here again is how we obtain the promises. Here's how we connect to this, here's how we grasp it. We grasp it and join it by faith. Nobody kept the law perfectly enough. For salvation. And so thankfully salvation is not in performance. But salvation. Is in faith. Romans 3.27. Where then is the boasting? It's excluded. There is no boasting. Nobody, nobody kept this enough to say look what I did. What kind of law is it? Of works? No. But a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. Apart from works. Of the law. So apart from the law. And so there is this contrast continually about saving faith and law working. And in the book of Galatians, in the book of Romans, you'll find it over and over and over. The problem with trying to be saved by works and law is that there's always too much sin and there's not a all keeping of the law. There's always too much sin in it it, you're always going to be condemned. You need something else. You're given something else in Christ. Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death. People say, Yeah, but I I really work hard at living this way. Don't I get Don't I deserve something? Yes, you do. The wages of sin is death. Now, when it comes to salvation, we don't want to get what we deserve. None of us want what we deserve. We want what God gives as a gift. The wages of sin is death. And in law keeping, since we don't keep all of it, there is always enough wages of that to deserve death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The free gift. It is a gift he gives to the faithful. So it is repeatedly emphasized. It's continually contrasted with works. Next, third or fourth, it's in him. It's in our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most important and theologically heavy things you can find in the scripture is the phrase in him. In him. him. There's nearly 90 in hims in the scriptures. About 80 of them are about things that are right, in Jesus Christ. There's a few other occasions where it's about some person or some some mundane thing just being described. But there's about 80 uses of in him, meaning in Christ, through our New Testament. There's about 90 where it's in Christ. So 80 where it's in him, 90 where it's in Christ, and about 10 more where it's in Jesus. And so just, you know, round number 175 to 200 times, things are in him, in Christ Christ, In Jesus. Here's just three representative samples. Three quick samples. From three different books. In the gospel of John. None of the rulers or Pharisees. Had believed in him. They didn't believe. So there's the negative. They didn't believe in him. In John 8.30. As he spoke these things. Many came to believe in him. And in John 9.36. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Said the blind man when he found out he was healed by Christ. And so in John, over and over, the important thing is, is did you believe in him or not? It's all about in him. In the book of Romans, we start having uh, some of the blessings and benefits described of that which is in him. Romans 3.24, uh, Romans being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So redemption is in Christ Jesus. In 611 of Romans, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And just one more. There's a number number more in Romans. Romans 8 and 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so through faith, we have a relationship with him and in him, and in just this little sample of Romans, what's there? Uh, redemption, life, and no condemnation. They're in him. And so anything of saving faith, we have to have the right object. When we talk about being saved by faith, it's not just we believe so we're saved. We, well, no, we, it's not just believing. It's believing in Christ. Now, in a lot of contexts, when we say belief, it's, it should be obvious to any fair listener we are talking about in Christ. But in some occasions, uh, the way people talk about belief, it's almost as if belief is the thing. It's, it's, it's not just that, it, and again, I just sermon on belief here, but it's belief in Christ. It's directed, it's centered, it's It's grasping, it's at, it's to, it's, it's directional. Uh, we, we don't just, you know, like, the Disney song we don't just wish upon a star right it's not some vague hope it's not some belief in belief it's always a belief centered in Christ and we think about something that is properly grounded and when the thing is properly uh, properly uh, set it doesn't take uh, much on the faith because the object the faith is in is secure have you ever sat on a plane with somebody who's just deathly af- afraid of flying? Uh, they they have a they have some kind of panic attack, and I I've seen some folks have some bad episodes on planes, and I've never had a full on bad episode, but I've I've had a few few bad thoughts. But you're like, I'm not sure this plane's going to get there. Uh, well, you believed enough to get on it, so so okay, you believe you did that at least. But uh, really, the the um, the plane reaching its destination or not? isn't always about my believing it. Actually, my believing the plane will work or not work doesn't say much about it, does it? I believed enough and trusted enough to get on the plane, and if the if it's a good plane, it'll get there, done by with a good crew and a good staff and all the things that go with it. A lot of things go into a plane. But if I believe in it enough to get on it, and it's a good thing, it'll get there, whether I think it will or not at times. We hit that turbulence, and I'm a little worried. Are we going to make it? Well, my thinking I'm going to make it or my not thinking I'm going to make it isn't what makes us make it or not. What gets us there? Well, the, the, the plane. Uh, or the, uh, another example of uh, the frozen pond. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big guy. Uh, I've not been on frozen ponds very often in my life. Uh, I've had a lot more success with that in Eastern Europe than I ever did have living in Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Uh, but uh, when that ice was thick enough, whether I thought it would hold me or not, they got me out there, they said, don't worry, it'll hold you, and I go, are you are you sure about this? I wasn't real sure, but I, I, I listened enough and trusted enough to get out there on it, it held me. Uh, you know, but if I did that around here, what do they always tell us every time there's a glaze over any one of the creeks? They always say, don't get out there. Why? I'm sure it'll hold me. I have a strong faith that it'll hold me. Yeah, well, you might think that, but you're not going to be right, Jake you're going to be wet. And so it's the strength of the ice. It's the soundness of the plane that that hold me up, that get me to where I'm going. And very much in the same way with Christ. If I have, my faith is a grain of mustard seed. If I have my faith that sometimes it's a little turbulent and I'm worried are we going to make it or not. But if I trust enough to be on his Sheet of ice, if I trust enough to be in his plane, if I trust enough to be with him, I can be shaky at times, and we still get where we're going, right? But what if I had a really strong faith in something else? I have some friends here in town, they're Mormon. I don't think they believe what I believe about God or Christ. Right? I have some other friends, great people, love them to death, I have some Jewish friends. They don't believe in Christ. They explicitly don't believe in Christ. They are people who are of some observance of the law. They're moral and ethical people on purpose, but they don't trust in Jesus. And they're better moral people, and they're better students of the word of God than a lot of believers that I know. But I got a lot more hope for the believers than I do for them, don't I? Because of where the faith is put. So, the faith needs to be in Him. Again, our three samples, like in Corinthians. First letter. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. Grace is in Him. 1 Corinthians 1.30 By His doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Christ is for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. It's almost as if all the spiritual blessings are in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. All the blessings are in Christ. Or, Lastly, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15.22, As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So what's in Christ in Corinthians? Sample. Grace, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption life that is what is in christ lastly this faith needs to be properly accompanied there's a centrality of faith to the entire system by grace you have been saved through faith by grace we've been saved through faith ephesians 2 and 8 but i do not say that we are saved by faith Alone. Some of my friends say that. Now, the part of the confusion on that comes that there's two different things meant by that. Some mean when they say it's faith alone, they mean if you once in your life said the sinner's prayer, or you raised your hand in the back of a meeting hall, you did anything that indicated in the slightest that you'd made a decision to accept Jesus, that you're in like Flynn, and you're in forever, and they call that faith alone, and they would say that some of these folks, if, if you tell people they need to repent uh, or do anything, they'll all of a sudden say, works righteousness, and you're trying to earn salvation. That's what sometimes is meant when some people say faith alone. That's not what a lot of people mean by it, though. A lot of people, when they talk about faith alone, they mean faith apart from the works like I just explained, and and they understand that, uh, you know, real faith Uh, would be included with uh, indications of repentance, a sanctification that follows, that there's visible evidence that a a life-changing faith uh, has arrived. And so both of those things are described as faith alone. And uh, that causes some confusion, I think, on it. I don't say faith alone even though as much as I've just talked about faith, but I will say repeatedly, constantly, and regularly, we're saved by faith. Because we are saved by faith. We are saved in our belief and our trust, in our entrusting in our souls to God. With that obviously comes some evidence and fruit of sanctification. Uh, in the Gospel of John, which is the Gospel of Belief, Jesus himself ties some obedience with faith. John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. And so there he gives us the options of believing and the option of not obeying. Well, it's obvious that obedience and belief are paired, and unbelief and disobedience are paired. Jesus contrasts belief and not obeying. He did it again in Mark's gospel on the subject of baptism. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. So there, Jesus is the one who gives us belief with an accompanying action to salvation. And he who has disbelieved will be condemned. Well, what's the disbelieving person? The one who, well, won't believe and be baptized and so it's not just jesus who does this tie of obedience uh, with an action that accompanies it in romans 10 romans 10 we have this what does it say quoting the scripture the word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart from isaiah that is the word of faith which we're preaching that if you confess with your mouth jesus is lord and believe with your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Same thing we read beginning uh, from 1 Peter, there of Isaiah 28. So here it is that Paul connects action with belief. In this case, the action is confession. And so Jesus ties saving faith with obedience. He ties it with baptism. Paul ties it to confession. And so faithful obedience, faithful baptism, faithful confession, these are all connected to saving faith. Jesus and the apostles were not as hesitant as some are today about tying these things together. And, of course, the most famous one is in the book of James, James 2.14 What what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? So that alone faith, that faith that doesn't act, that faith that shows no fruit, that faith that doesn't work, this is what James says, this will not get it accomplished. And then people try to contrast that, some of them do at least, with what they think Paul is saying. But I think Paul agrees with James. I also think James agrees with Paul because they're both inspired by the same uh, uh, Lord and Savior through the same Spirit. But we have this in the book of Galatians. It says, For in Christ Jesus, Galatians 5, 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. So that action, that, that, that stuff of the law, that's not where it's at. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. But what means Something but faith working through love. So the apostle Paul would have saving faith, be that faith with works through love. Now we need to understand what happens when we work through love in faith. We have not just gone to a different and better law system where now uh, we really are saved by keeping the law, but he's more generous about forgiving the things where we failed. Well, not quite. Uh, what he's doing is counting us as as righteous by faith, but it's a faith that lovingly works. It's a faith that, that trusts enough to do what is told. That's the faith that saves. Now, the problem with the law was, the curse was you're condemned if you break it. If you... Break the law, you're condemned. The grace of the gospel is that when we fail, when we sin, when we are short of what the requirement of God is, and if we were honest, how often are we short of the requirement of God as taught to us in the gospel, then what does he do? He counts our faith as righteousness still. He counts our faith as righteousness still. And so, no, even in the gospel, it's not an earned salvation. As the scriptures say over and over, it's a gift. It's something that comes from God. Christ is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30. It is the righteousness given by God. We read from the book of Galatians. So it's still not a righteousness earned, but it's a righteousness given. But given to who? Well, those who have faith, the faith that works in love, the faith that confesses, the faith that's baptized, the faith that puts Christ first and tries to imitate him. So one more passage. One more passage for us. First Peter 1, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. We'll read it all. We'll put a summary of it on the board. This is the kind of thing we need for salvation by faith. It says, And though you haven't seen him. Well, that's us. We didn't see him. You love him. Do we love him? We love him. And though you don't see him now. Well, no, we don't. But you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation Of your soul. That's where we stand. Peter tells us. He tells his audience. His audience. They were receiving a letter from Peter. Just like we've got the letter from Peter. They weren't witnesses of the gospel. As the apostles in that first generation were. But they stand exactly where we stand. And all have stood ever since. We love him. Through the gospel. We believe in him. Through the testimony. We greatly rejoice in the blessings. And the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And so that's how we need to live. In love, in belief, in joy, in faith, looking for the gift of salvation. And so that's how we live as Christians. We need to live in a saving faith. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at Malvanechurch dot com. Come see what a difference the Bible Way makes.